Now, the, this uh, growing in the spirit thing is about becoming, bridging, and, 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 and a building. And I've been centered on the becoming aspect of this. Because our vision says we want to, we covenant to become a community of spiritually empowered people. And to do that, we must be becoming all we can be individually and then becoming all we can be collectively. And I've been centering on the individual becoming the last half a year or so, talking about discipleship, the discipleship of the mind and, and whatnot. Uh, two weeks ago, I spoke about the inner being, this biblical concept that Paul has of the inner being and how important it is to pay attention to and feed the inner being. Uh, this inner sanctuary where we commune with God, uh, how, how, how crucial that is, because all genuine transformation comes from the inside out. And the bottom line is what that means is that we need to uh, be, part of our discipleship needs to be uh, spending quality time alone with God. Uh, it's, it's like a marriage. There's no shortcut you, cuts. You need to spend time together, be communicating, uh, experiencing one another. So also, there's got to be quality times where we invest in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And uh, I, we have a prayer life. We have a devotion life. We, we have a meditation as a part of our life. Now, I left off two weeks ago on just uh, stressing the importance that we do that. The, what I want to deal with here this morning, and this is more of a teaching time than it is a preaching time, more of an educational time than it is a motivational time, but it's so crucial. I want to ask this very practical question. How do we do that? How do you do that? Uh, it's one thing to say we need to be doing it. It's another thing to ask the question, how do we do this? When, Lord, when, when, when Norm, at the end of the worship service, said, just commune with the Lord, your spirit with his spirit, some of us didn't know how to do that. What are we supposed to do when he tells us to do that? Uh, what's to be going on in, in, in our, our minds? Uh, what is real is this? The main obstacle that we are up against, I believe at least, uh, this has been the case in my experience, the main obstacle we're up against when it comes to spending quality time with God is that, let's be very honest here, uh, a lot of us experience it as boring. It's boring. I'm talking to God, and he never talks back. I'm reading the Bible, you know, but I've already read the stories before. I'm, and, and, and so your motivation for carving out a space with God is simply the ought. The ought. You ought to do it, and so you do it. And, and it's praiseworthy that you do it out of commitment, but there's no reality to it. And because we're filled with real issues and real time-consuming things, there's always a pull to invest more time in those things that we experience as real rather than this time with God that we don't experience as real. What I have found, and this has been an issue that I have uh, been working on for two decades, what I have found is that the, the difference between those who pray a lot and worship a lot and like to read the Bible a lot on their own, they have, they have that, that private time with God. The difference between those folks and the, those who really have trouble uh, consistently spending time with God is not necessarily that the first group is more disciplined than the second group. That may have something to do with it, but there's something more fundamental going on, and I believe it's this. The, the group that is spending time with God likes to spend time with God. And they like to spend time with God because they get something out of it. Uh, there's a reality there. There's a, uh, an experience that they're having, at least sometimes. So it pulls at them, and they carve out time for God. Whereas the second group, they may even be more committed than the first group, because when they do their devotions with God, it's simply duty. 
And it's hard to do a duty for even 15 minutes a day, let alone a half hour or, or an hour. So I want to ask the question, what can we learn from those who really like to spend time with God? What are they doing in their head that these others are not doing in their head? I want to get very practical. What kind of internal strategy can we have in the inner being, in the inner person, to help us experience God more vibrantly and, and more concretely and more transformingly? I want to entitle this message, The Sanctified Imagination. The sanctified imagination. Uh, this is, as I said, something I've been uh, working on for, for two decades. I, I will have a little commercial break. Uh, I'll have a book uh, coming out in April called, uh, uh, what's it called? Oh, Seeing is Believing, The Transforming Power of Imaginative Prayer. And what I'm going to be sharing here is, is really a, a real condensed, super condensed version of, of what's going to be in that book. End of commercial. The phrase, the sanctified imagination, comes out of A.W. Tozier, one of the great spiritual writers in church history. And, and he speaks about the, the supreme value, supreme value of the sanctified imagination. The word sanctified means set apart. You set apart your imagination for God to use. The supreme value of the sanctified imagination in which the Holy Spirit presents Christ to our inner vision in this inner sanctuary so we can gaze on Christ with the eyes of the soul. The sanctified imagination. It is, I believe, absolutely foundational and crucial to our, our transformation. For some of you, uh, for all who have been here last year when we talked about discipleship of the mind, I'll be building on principles that I laid there. For some of you, this will be review if you've attended any of my seminars on this or, or read uh, some of the stuff I, I've written on it. Uh, for some of you, this will be absolutely new, but, but for all of us, this is important, and for some of us, it, it will be life-transforming. In the next half hour, you're going to get material that, if you apply it, has the potential to absolutely revolutionize your, your, your prayer time with God. I want to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, this is the passage that A.W. Tozier was really commenting on when he talked about the sanctified imagination. Uh, Paul, in this passage, has been talking about the time in the Old Testament when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and, and having spent time with God, his face was just radiating with the presence of God, the glory of God. And they had to put a veil over him because they couldn't stand looking at him. It was too bright. Now, Paul uses that as an analogy here. And so he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting with verse 14, their minds, talking about the minds of the unbelieving Jews, but by implication, the minds of all unbelievers, their minds were hardened. Indeed, to this very day, when they hear the reading of the Old Covenant, that same veil is still there since only in Christ is it set aside. Indeed, to this very day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their minds. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil, the veil in the mind, is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The freedom has a lot of applications, but in this particular context, it clearly refers to the freedom from a veil in the mind. The believer can see stuff that the unbeliever can't see. Here's what the believer can see. All of us who have turned to Christ with unveiled faces, seeing the glory, seeing the glory of the Lord, seeing in the mind the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, and the mirror he's talking about is the mind, are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. The principle here is this, what you see in the mind determines what you become. As you behold, as you see in your unveiled mind the glory of the Lord, you're transformed into that glory. Now, two verses later, 
He says this, if our gospel is still veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers, it's a satanic bondage, to keep them from seeing, in the mind, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For it is the God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, who is shown in our hearts. We saw two weeks ago that the heart is uh, one of Paul's words for the inner self, the inner person. That includes the mind and the emotions. God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Believers have been set free. The veil has been removed so that they, they can use their mind in a way that non-believers can't, uh, uh, aren't able to do. Let's talk to God for a moment about this. Lord, in the next half hour, I pray, God, that you would give me a conciseness to get this material in, and I pray you'd give it power to just hit us, release us, free us, to have a vibrant, dynamic, personal, loving, experiential relationship with you. So many of us, God, we walk uh, with a conviction that it's true, but it never seems true. It never feels true. It, it, it seems kind of like make-believe. I pray, God, that this would just help the reality of who you are right now flood our brains as we set aside our imaginations for you. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. amen. You know the facts of the story. I know you do. Most of us do. Uh, Jesus was arrested. You know that. Uh, he was tried illegally, you know that. He was beaten by Roman guards, you know that. Whipped with 40 stripes, you know that. Uh, he was uh, crucified on the cross, you know that. This is important information, but it's just information. I want us to watch this clip from the upcoming movie, movie The Passion of Christ. Some of you, I, I'm sure, are right now very moved just by that trailer. Uh, it's powerful. My wife and I uh, had the opportunity to... Uh, see, a, a, see the, the, the movie, a pre-released viewing of it. I had to hang out with Mel Gibson, you know, Hobnob, a little bit, you know, he's, he's a good guy. Uh, me and Mel, we're tight. Uh, but he was there, and, and uh, he has uh, financed this all by himself. He, he just did it out of a conviction. He couldn't get any backers for it. Uh, it'll be released on the 25th of February, and uh, I think it's going to create a significant evangelism opportunity, because this thing hits hard. It's very graphic. Uh, it's rated R for good reason. Um, but then again, it needs to be. Uh, uh, what happened to Jesus wasn't exactly rated G. And uh, it is I, I, the first non-cheesy Christian film I've ever seen. And I love it. I, 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 and I've seen them all. Uh, it, it, it's powerful. It's very powerful. The question I want to ask here is this. We had a, a couple thousand pastors at this gathering. We know the gospel story. Uh, in fact, some people have asked me, who have found out that I went to see this, they said, well, how was it? How was it? And I jokingly respond by saying, ah, oh, the plot's kind of predictable. <laughs> and see, what's, what's humorous about that, if it's humorous at all, is, is that the plot's not the point, is it? Everybody's got the information. You've got the facts. Why then does this movie hit so hard? And the answer is that. It's graphic, it's vivid, it's, it feels real. The principle is this. Information alone never changes us. Information is abstract. Facts are just facts. It's only insofar as facts become incarnated. They become concrete, they become real, they become experiential. That's when they hit us. That's when they move us. That's when they transform us. 
This is why memories are so transforming to people. Uh, uh, when you have, a, for example, a traumatic memory, it has power to keep you walking in a false identity because it's not about information. If you were abused as a child, you don't remember that by seeing a ticket tape piece of abstract information saying, oh, at the age of seven, Greg was hit hard and got a bloody nose by his mom. That's not how it works. What happens is that something triggers the memory, and the memory is made of experiences. It's made of pictures. It's made of words. It's made of sensations. And so you experience it hard all over again as though it was real. And, and that's why it locks you in that worldview until you're healed of that. I, the other day was, uh, or last week was, was studying in my office with some background music, and a song came on that we played during my father's funeral. And uh, I automatically was back at the last conversation I had with my father. I was just there, and I, I was hugging him, and he was hugging me, and I was kissing him goodbye, and I didn't know it was the last time I was going to say goodbye. And every word I could just remember so vividly. And I began to cry. It just moved me out of nowhere. I was thinking about something totally different. But now, boom, it's concrete, it's real. Now, I have the information that my father died a year ago, and I have the information about what, what we talked about, but that doesn't move me, that doesn't change me, that doesn't transform me. What hits me, makes me fall in love with him all over again, is when it becomes concrete, when it becomes real. That's about our imagination. Uh, the imagination is simply our ability to think in images. And all of our thought is imaginative. We use our imagination uh, in everything we do. Neuroscience has confirmed this. We don't think with information. When people ask us what we're thinking, we give them information because we can't give them what we're actually thinking, but we don't actually process things through information. Example, right now if I ask you, when you leave here, uh, how many right turns do you have to take to get to your house or your apartment? How many right turns do you have to take? I'll give you a second or two. Now... You didn't, you didn't access that information. None of you had a little ticket tape piece of information saying, you take five right turns on the way home. What you did was right now, you got in the car, you drove out the parking lot, you took a right turn. Okay, here you go. Then you had two left turns. Oh, but there's a, there's a second right turn. And you ran the thing in your mind. Very fast. The brain operates at one three thousandth of a second. But you ran it in your mind. Your imagination was employed. Now, if I ask you, how many right turns do you have to take to get home? You tell me the information because you can't give me the scenery, the picture, the words, all the sounds and stuff. You have to give me the abstract information. But that's not what's going on in your head. Neurologically, we think by replicating the outside world on the inside world. And it all involves imagination. And the principle is this. The more concrete, the more like the outside world the image is, the more it impacts you, the more it's, it's tagged as real in your brain, the more it has power to transform you. This is why great spiritual authors throughout church history have, have seen the need to employ the imagination in our spirituality, to have our spirituality have a concrete rooting in our mind. The, the God has given us the imagination as a primary vehicle by which we have access to the spiritual realm and where spiritual truths become real and concrete to us. I gave you A.W. Tozer earlier, who talks about the supreme value of the imagination. As the Holy Spirit uses this to give us an inner vision of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's exactly what Paul said. St. Ignatius of Loyola, one of the greatest spiritual authors in history, I think probably the greatest spiritual author in church history, was the founder of the Jesuits. He had a series of spiritual exercises that he led people on. He says this, when you pray, pray with all five senses. 
Enter into prayer with all five senses. Uh, attend to who you're talking to and what you're talking about. And yield to the Holy Spirit to help you see what's going on in the spiritual realm. He says, let the Lord give you the eye, see with the eye of your imagination. And his spirituality was so, that he recommended was so, was so transforming because it was concrete. It wasn't abstract. Uh, if uh, uh, Another author, St. Francis de Sales, says this. By means of the imagination, we confine our mind within the mystery on which we meditate. And it may not, that it may not ramble to and fro. Just as we shut up a bird in a cage or tie a hawk by his, by his leash so that he may rest on the hand. Uh, what he's saying there is this. If you're not using your imagination in, in, in your devotion time, your mind's going to tend to wander. And the reason is because your mind is, is geared to attend to things it thinks is real and therefore important. The bills are real. The, the groceries you got to get are real. The fight you just had with your husband is real. The kid problems are real. But is your spirituality real? And if it's not, if, nothing, if nothing's going on that your mind will tag as real, it's going to tend to wander. And we, we know this happens all the time, doesn't it? You know, they're praying, you know, interceding on behalf of the Cambodians. And then it's like, uh, well, what would be going on for, you know, I wonder who's going to win the Super Bowl. Uh, and and uh, gosh, you know, I, I forgot to pay that bill. And I really got to pick up the kids tomorrow. Maybe I can. And, and you don't even know that you're doing it. All of a sudden, you wake up to it and you think, oh, gosh, my mind kind of wandered. Sorry, Lord. And then you come back. But see, if you're, if you're, same thing with worship. You're worshiping the Lord and, and it's just kind of abstract. Uh, and, and what will happen is your mind will tend to wander. And what, what, what St. Francis is saying is we need to take the mind and encase it in the imagination. This is how you take every thought captive. Uh, you, 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 you concretely uh, concentrate on who it is you're praying to, what it is you're praying about, and, 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 and use your imagination. Set apart, sanctify your imagination for the Holy Spirit to use to give you access to the, 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 the spiritual realm. If you wonder why your mind tends to wander in times of, of private devotion or in times of corporate celebration, uh, it, it's, I suggest to you because you're not using your imagination. And if you find that your devotional life is boring and nothing feels unreal in the Christian life, I suggest to you it's because you ha just haven't learned the art of using your imagination in uh, your, your, your devotional times. Uh, if, I, I think this is so crucial right here, many saved, regenerate, well-intentioned people find that they are more transformed by the pattern of the world than they are the image of Jesus Christ. Uh, and they struggle with that. Their life more manifests the cultures of the matrix that we are a part of than it does the person of Jesus Christ. And, and I, they get encouragement to try harder, to work harder at it, and, and whatnot, which is good. But I don't believe that it's addressing the real problem. Here, I think, is the real problem. The world has got your imagination. The Lord doesn't. The matrix of this world and the values of our culture aren't communicated to us abstractly. No one here has ever been given the information that it's good just to sleep around with whoever you want to sleep around, whenever you want to sleep around. No one's been given abstract information about how you ought to be greedy and you shouldn't really care about the poor and, and you should spend all your money on yourself. That's not what we get. What we get are a bombardment of perpetual, concrete, vivid images. Why do commercials have so little information and so many graphic images? Bingo! They're, they're, whoever wins the imagination wins you. Because as Paul tells us, it's what you see in your brain that determines what you become. It's what your mind tags as real. And so we're bombarded with all these concrete, vivid images from the culture. And what do we have to fight it with? Well, for a lot of us, it's simply abstract theological truth. And a lot of oughts and shoulds. 
I shouldn't do this. I ought not to do this. And I know that God is loving, omniscient, omnipresent, omnibenevolent, omni, omni, omni. And, and I know all the facts of the Bible and I have all the, you know, all that. And, 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 and that's what we fight that with. But you know what? Information does not win the battle. It's what's concretely, imaginatively, experientially, graphically, vividly going on in your head. It's what's going on in your head that looks like the passion movie uh, that wins the battle more than all the information in the world. And if you're wondering why you have all the odds you need to know and, and you have all the information you need to know and yet you seem to have so little power to resist the pattern of the world, this is it. Paul says the key to transformation is not your willpower. It's when you behold in your unveiled mind the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ that now it impacts you and you begin to take on that glory like Moses did. You begin to radiate that glory. Why? Because God's attitude towards you is real. The things of God are real to you. Uh, you, you when, you're, when you're praying, you're encountering a reality. When you're reading the Bible, you're encountering a reality. How does that happen? It happens because your imagination is being employed. You know, a lot of people think... They wonder, like, well, how come people in the Bible, every, everyone in the Bible is getting visions, and God gives them dreams, and, and, and they, they see angels and, and counter stuff. Why did God, God stop talking to us? Just make a note of this. The word vision in the Old Testament is the same word that's used for dream. Uh, the vision, most, there's a few exceptions, but most of the visions in the Bible were not stuff that, that were public where everyone could see it. It's stuff that went on where the dreams go on, and that's in your image-making capacity. Uh, they saw stuff in their mind. Uh, in fact, in Daniel 7, for example, this comes to me, uh, uh, Daniel had a vision, and it says explicitly three times that those who were around him couldn't see the vision. It was happening in his mind. God got a hold of, of his inner sanctuary, which is composed of our sanctified imagination, and he starts giving him words, he starts giving him pictures, and, uh, and, and it, it's making a great impact on Daniel. Uh, someone shared with me last uh, service, after the service, he said their, their daughter wanted to see angels. And uh, we said, well, then close your eyes. Close your eyes and, 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 and ask God uh, to show you angels. Now, see, here, here's what we're up against in this culture, in this materialistic uh, post-enlightenment culture that we're, that we're a part of. When we hear the imagination, and some of you are wrestling with this right now. I just know it. Uh, I'm reading your mind, man. <laughs> but it's like... It feels like we're saying pretend, fantasy land, because we, we have this idea that imagination is just pretend. Oh, that's just your imagination. Imagination takes you away from reality. And see, if you believe that, you are going to shut down the main inner sanctuary that God's given us to commune with him, because we'll always tag it as just pretending. Uh, now, the, the imagination can be used to uh, take us away from reality, to daydream, to fantasize, to, to you know, be creative, and, and, and that's, uh, that's one of its uses, and that's a good thing. But see, what we need to also understand is this. That's not the only use of the imagination. Uh, we're the only culture in history that's ever thought that, by the way. Other cultures understood that the imagination can be the means by which you get closer to reality. Not physical reality necessarily, but spiritual reality. This is the tool we have to do it. Let me ask you this question. What is more like pretend? If I'm up here, uh, and, and uh, I'll give you two mindsets. Mindset number one, I'm a guy talking to you, the room's full of people, and that's all I'm thinking about. My imagination stops there. Mindset number two, I'm up here talking to you, uh, but I'm also, in, I, I see in my mind uh, a cloud of Shekinah glory hovering over this place. Uh, and, and in fact, I see Jesus sitting down there in the front row. There he is. And he's, he's encouraging me on. Now, am I pretending when I do the second mindset? 
It seems to me like I'm more pretending when I do the first mindset because what's true is that the Holy Spirit is here and Jesus is in this place. Amen? Amen? Amen. You see, I'm getting... My mind is lining up with reality when I think that way. It's not getting away from reality. It's only because we, this is part of the lie of this matrix culture we're in. We're indoctrinated to believe that what's really real is the physical. It's it's what's outside of us. Because we believe that that's all that's really real, now by definition, everything we might see in our mind and all the interactions in our mind are tagged as unreal. So we dismiss them. And guess what? We're bored. We don't experience anything real with God. Why? Because the inner sanctuary, the inner self, the life of the inner soul has been shut down. We need to open it up again. And we need to take back what the enemy stole. And and, and, and and it's the gift of, of the imagination. We have unveiled minds. Believer, you have the potential to see something that an unbeliever can't see. They can imagine Jesus Christ, but they're not seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. They don't have the capacity to go up there and, and, and experience his love and transforming power. And when they read the scripture, they don't have the, 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 the ability to see the revelation of God in it as you surrender your mind to the Holy Spirit as you're reading it. Now, let me just end with a couple of applications of this, and this is going to be quick. Um, I'll come back to this at some point, uh, but I, I'm, I'm just going to give a survey of this. A couple applications of it. When you pray, when you pray, uh, attend, uh, just ask the Holy Spirit to make the things of God real to you. Try to see Jesus. Try to hear Jesus. Try to feel Jesus' arms around you. Now, we're all wired differently in this. Some people can feel uh, better than they can see. Some people can hear better than they can feel. Uh, start with whatever comes easiest for you. But, but the thing is, make it real. Uh, I, I, when I pray, sometimes we'll just go to a, uh, a little opening in the woods that I, 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 this is kind of my inner sanctuary. This is, this is the springboard of my inner life with God. And it's vibrant and, and, and it's, it's, it's exciting when it happens. I go to a little opening in the woods that I used to run away to as a kid. It's a warm oval. And I go to this place and I can smell the evergreens. I, I, can, I can hear the wind. I can feel the breeze on me. I can feel the warmth of the sun. Uh, and it, it feels safe just being there. Uh, and uh, then I see the Lord come out into this oval of light. And uh, he and I just hang together sometimes. Sometimes I can see all of them. Sometimes I can only see his eyes. But the eyes are the most important thing to see because there's such love in those eyes. The eyes are the windows of the soul. And the eyes pierce you with his love. And uh, I hear him say things that, that he's already told me are true in the Bible. I'm not making this up. I know they're there. And now, but now they have my name attached to them. One of the things you might think about doing is this. We have, if we didn't run out already, a list of identity statements out on the visitor's table of, of, of tr- things that the Bible says are true about you when you've surrendered your life to Christ. You are loved. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. You are, you are, you are. Now, those are facts, which are good facts, but they're not going to hit you and transform you until they become personal, ex- experiential facts. And so I hear the Lord say to me, I see the Lord, I feel the Lord say to me, Greg, I love you with an everlasting love. You are altogether lovely in my sight. I find no flaw in you. Uh, I, I will never leave you or forsake you. I am with you wherever you go. Greg, you're my child. You're my friend. You're my co-worker. Together, we're going to do... And see, that has so much more power to change me than just the facts that God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son. Thank God for that fact. 
It's got to get incarnated in our mind. Sometimes when I pray, and this is just how it works for me, God will lead you. Everyone does it different, and it's all weird because we're not used to talking about this. But when I, when I sometimes I'm just doing the blessing prayer for people, you know, we're called to, to just be a blessing machine, right? We've talked about that. You, know, you just pray, ascribe unsurpassable worth to people and bless them as you're driving, as you're walking. And wherever you see, just, 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 just be doing that. Well, what helps me is, is when I don't just do that, but I, I, I sometimes can imagine this, this like helicopter spotlight, searchlight, coming down on them when I'm doing that. And, and there's this, this blessing coming on them, you know? And I'm blessing that person. And now I bless that person. You know, and now I want to curse out that person, but I remember what I'm called to do, and I bless that person. And then, you know? And what happens is this. See, I, it, it, now concretely, I feel like I'm doing something. Uh, this isn't just a gimmick. Now, you know what? That person's life is a little bit better because I just said this three-second prayer for him. And, and the kingdom of God went forward just a little bit because I did that. And, and I'm pressing out the boundaries of the kingdom of God against the kingdom of darkness just by this person's little uh, blessing prayer. And it motivates me to want to do more of it. Am I pretending? No, because that's really happening. I'm getting my mind to line up with what is true. In your prayer life, just ask the Lord to help you, uh, you know, enter into the spiritual realm. I sometimes see this court in heaven, and when I'm praying, I come into the court in heaven. All the angelic hosts are around there. And, and I come in there, and now I get to talk to the sovereign king of the universe. Man, when I, when I sense that, when I see that, uh, whoa, what, what a difference it makes. Now I want to pray. And the Lord sometimes tells the heavenly host, shh, my, my, my kid's got something to say. You know, and it's like, man, okay, this is important stuff. And then he talks back. Is that pretending? No, because I'm getting my mind to line up with what is real. So also in worship, when you worship, I encourage you to take your mind and just focus it. Surrender your imagination over to what, who it is we're worshiping to. Say, Lord, make this stuff real to me. We sing about a, a strong tower. Did you see the strong tower? And that fence that's all around us. Did you see the fence? You know, he, man, it makes you happy when you, when you see it. I, I saw like, it, was, it wasn't like a little picket fence. Uh-uh. It was like this barbed wire, you know, like, like one of these prison things. It was like this wall all around me. And in the middle of it is a strong tower. And there's no wind that can possibly touch that strong tower. And I get in that strong tower and I'm safe there. My world may be falling apart, but there's a peace that passes understanding when the strong tower of God becomes real in my life, when I experience it, when it's there, when it's visual, when it's auditory, man, it becomes real in my life. So in worship, just, just, just uh, surrender yourself to that. Uh, and, and God makes it real to you. You find a person who's just really lost in the spirit. I mean, some songs are more extroverted than others. Sometimes we just sort of celebrate as a community, and that's wonderful. But there needs to be times where we as a community and where we, where we individually just shut everything else out and go inside to the inner sanctuary and get lost in the presence of God. You show me a person who's, who's being just hit by the power of, 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 of the worship service, and I'll show you a person who's no longer in the sanctuary. They're up there in the heavenly court. You know, they're, they're, ta- they're singing to Jesus. They're seeing the angelic hosts around them. They're, I don't know what's going on in their mind, but there's a reality there, and it's impacting them. Uh, in personal discipleship. I uh, encourage you to use all five senses like St. Ignatius says. Don't just tell yourself the truth. In the discipleship of the mind, it's a 24-7 endeavor to take every thought captive. Information doesn't do that. Uh, the brain thinks in images and in words and in senses, and, and, and so attend to that. Don't just know who you are in Christ. Run movies of who you are in Christ. This will be worth the price of admission right here. Listen to this one. Find yourself in a situation where you're manifesting something other than the truth of who you are in Christ. And now run a movie, full color, with sound, uh, with sensation, of, of what you would look like in this situation if, in fact, you were manifesting the truth of who you are in Christ. Run a movie of that. And watch how what you see is what you become. 
Watch how it just empowers you to move it. Are you making it up? No. You were pretending before you did this because you're pretending that what God said about you isn't true. And that's not true. Now you're beginning your mind to line up with what is true. And you're doing it in a concrete, vivid, experiential way. And it moves you towards that. It's what faith is all about. It moves you towards that. The final thing is, is Bible reading. Uh, there's a time to study the Bible for facts and all of that. That, that, that. That's fine. Get the information. It's good information. But there's got to be time where you enter in to the truth of the word with all five senses. Don't read it like a newspaper. Read it like, like, like you're producing a Mel Gibson movie. Uh, when you read the passion narrative, that should be going on in your mind. That, you know, just run it that vivid. There it is. It's right there. And it will hit you in ways that information never would. Take one example of a story. You've heard this story probably many times. Let's read it one more time. I'm going to read it fast, too. Luke 15. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. We've heard this story before. You have all the information. So you'd read that and you think, oh, that was a nice story. Let's move on to the next one. In fact, you might be even a little bored because who, we've read that story so many times. But take the time to enter into it with all five senses. Use your imagination on this. It's the sanctuary. It's the vehicle by which you have access to the reality in the spiritual realm. You are the sheep. Look at the world through the eyes of a sheep. You can see that, can't you? You're out there on the hillside of Galilee. You feel the breeze. You know, the clouds are overhead. You maybe can smell the, the field. And you're just grazing and grazing. And all of a sudden, you look up. It's starting to get dark. dark and you don't know where the rest of the sheep are. You don't know where the shepherd is. You're lost. Now, you're not the brightest little sheep. And so you don't know where everyone is. So you start running around. We're all kind of dull sheep. You start running. Because you, 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 you know how scary it is to be out at night if you're a little sheep. You start running around. They're pan panicking. But you can't find them. You don't know where they are. You think, say to yourself, how could I have been so stupid as to not pay attention and not be obedient to the good shepherd? And now I'm on my own. And you're getting exhausted running around. And finally, you trip and fall into the ditch and you hurt your legs. So now you can't even walk. It's your movie. Uh, you know, add the details as it fits. And, and so you're stuck there. And now it's getting dark. The sun has set. And you start to hear the wolves howling. howling and uh, you know that they roam the countryside looking for sheep just like you in your condition. You begin to imagine how terrifying it's going to be when they start ripping you limb to limb and you're terrified. And you say to yourself, the shepherd, he probably doesn't even notice that I'm gone. I'm just a stupid sheep and the obedient ones are back there safe and he doesn't have the time, if he, even if he did notice, he doesn't have the time to leave the 99 good ones and go looking for me. I'm a goner. I'm gone. As the height of despair sets in, you hear the voice of a shepherd calling your name. It's your name. Greg, Greg, where are you? There's such concern in his voice. He's so concerned for you. Where are you? I'm looking for you. And you realize he's been out there looking all day long and he'll look all night long. And you call out to him, I'm over here. But it sounds like, because <laughs> you're a sheep. Remember that. And finally, he follows your voice and he comes upon you in the ditch. And in the moonlight, you can see his face just light up. His sheep is found, and there's such a joy. And now, for the first time, it occurs to you, 
just how important you are to him. Whoa, he's smiling. He's out looking for me. And he picks you up and he holds you in his arms and he's moved to tears because he found you. And you're there being held by his arms and so safe and so secure. Just feel it. Enter into it with all five senses. One of, the, one of the best paintings I've ever seen. It just moves me. I, I've spent hours looking at this thing sometimes, just entering into it. And this is the, the beauty of Christian art. And it can help our imagination enter into spiritual realities. But it's this one. It's, just, it's called The Good Shepherd. A lot of you have seen it before. I love this. I just love this painting. That's me. And that's Jesus. Look how peaceful I am. I don't have a concern in the world. No wolf is going to dare try to get me with his arms around me. And I just, I'm saying, hold me close. Never let me go. I'll lay it all down again just to hear you say that I'm your friend. I'm, I'm safe. I'm loved. I'm secure here. And it's hitting me. The reality. Am I making it up? No. I'm just seeing the truth. And then he takes me home and he whistles to all of his friends who come running over and he says, my sheep, that was lost, it's now found. And we've got to pate. We, 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 we got to just do it up because this is one of the best days of my life. And now you see this, just see it, see it. This, hear the noise, hear the whistles, all the sounds. And, and the people around you, they're all the angelic hosts. They're giving each other high fives. They're doing the jig. They're just having a ball. They're just screaming. They're laughing. They're crying. And it's all over you. You look around as a, this little sheep who deserve to be eaten up. And you're saying, I can't believe that this is for me. How do you feel now? See, I've read this story 500 times. I've, I've spoken on it two other times this weekend, but right now it's still hitting me. Why? Because I'm seeing it. It's, it. it's being tagged as reality rather than just an abstract story. Enter into the things of God with all five senses. Don't be discouraged if at first it's a little bit difficult. Uh, you, you know, you haven't done it before, but I encourage you to be disciplined about it. Just try to enter into it, and you'll find your devotional life coming alive. Prayer becomes something that's exciting. Worship becomes something that's real, becomes transforming. Uh, you know, times with God, reading the Bible becomes a passion movie that impacts your life. Will you close your eyes? I want to take 30 seconds here to ask this question. I just want to give everybody here an opportunity to take that first baby step forward to the Good Shepherd, or just to acknowledge that he's been looking for you for a long time. If you're here this morning and you are that lost sheep, and you have never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, which is just a matter of saying, Lord, pick me up from this ditch and you want to do so now, something's pulling on you, will you just raise your hand and I'm going to pray for you from up here. We're all going to pray with you. Raise your hand really high so I can see it. If you're here this morning, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you've been doing church, but, but over there, wonderful. A couple people over there. You've been doing church up here. Praise God. Church isn't what it's about. It's about a personal, vibrant relationship with him. Over there, several people. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Others, just raise your hand so I can see it. Well, praise God. Wonderful, 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 wonderful. Already the angels are getting excited. They're getting very excited. Anybody else? Re really quickly here. All right, all right. I, I, I Maybe you're raising your hand I, and I can't see it, and that's okay. God sees it. Pray this prayer with me, and we'll all join with you in solidarity because it's a community thing here. Uh, but pray from the depths of your heart. You just say, Heavenly Father, I confess that I've gone my own way done my own thing, sinned my own sins. But I thank you that you're the good shepherd. You've been looking for me. You suffered and died for me. 
And so I ask you, Lord Jesus, to forgive me, to pick me up, hold me close, never let me go, live inside of me, and help me live for you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The angels are happy about that one. Angels are happy about that. Oh, there's a pate. Yes, amen. Amen, amen. Now, if you, if you were one of the dozen or so who raised your hands this morning, whether I saw that or not, please, we want to help you get started. There's a lot of wolves out there who do not like what happened to you right now. I'm talking about in the spiritual realm. If, would you take one minute out, come up here and to my right, your left, there's a, there's a table with several people. who ha We have some free literature, no strings attached. We just want to help you get started in the Christian life. And, and they'll give you this literature, so please come forward and get that. Uh, the prayer team will come forward here. If you want to spend some time in prayer, we encourage you to do that. Um, uh, covenant partners, stick around. In about a half hour, we'll start our covenant partner meeting. Uh, and go out and surrender your mind and your heart and your will over to the Lord Jesus Christ and spend time in a vibrant relationship with him. In Jesus' name, amen.